And we're turning in the Word of God tonight to the book of Galatians and the chapter 2, and we're reading one verse there, which is the verse 20, the book of Galatians and the chapter 2 and the verse 20. And in the remainder of the meeting, we'll take the topic, My Substitute. My Substitute. Galatians 2 and the verse 20. Paul the Apostle says there that I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me. Let's briefly bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we look to thee for the remainder of this meeting, and we pray that as we preach the word, we will know thy help, thy direction, Holy Ghost enthusiasm, and may we know thee speaking to all of our hearts at this time. We pray in Jesus' name and for thine eternal glory. Amen. Throughout the Second World War, Eleanor Roosevelt, who was then the wife of the American president at the time, she kept a prayer by her side. And the prayer that she had by her side through World War II read simply this, Help me to remember somewhere out there a man died for me today. Now, if Eleanor Roosevelt prayed that prayer when the Allies stormed the beaches of Normandy. That was on the 6th of June, 1944. It was D-Day. Then it wasn't merely that day a case of a man died for me today, but up to 10,000 were killed or wounded for her that day. And if she projected on and kept praying this particular prayer during the rest of the World War II over the next 336 days, then when Europe was finally liberated, it had come at this cost, there had been an average of 506 men wounded or killed on her behalf each day. So that prayer helped me to remember Somewhere out there, a man died for me today. What that prayer does is it turns the focus on a subject that is very dear to our heart. And as a gospel preacher in a gospel church, then it's always a subject that we are majoring on. And that is substitution. So tonight, taking this theme. I want to lift your minds onto an infinitely higher plane for my message, it's setting its sights on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. And there at Calvary was not so much the words of John 15 and 13 that are often repeated, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, not so much that as it was a case of the greatest display. Of love this world has ever known. For what do we have? We have a sinless man laying down his life for his inveterate, stubborn enemies. Paul puts it there for him in Galatians 2 and verse 20. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And so we're talking about this subject of substitution. First of all, we have the cost of substitution, the cost 
of substitution. D-Day represented a huge cost in human life. There was a news report, 7th of June, so the day after D-Day, 1944, and it looked back and described the price that had to be paid for the advances that were gained on the previous day. There is now an eastern beachhead under firm United States control, but the cost has been tragic. And when we go right through to the end of that war, when Europe was finally liberated, 170,000 Allied troops had been killed or wounded. So no matter how we consider it, it was certainly a tragic cost. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And in those words, what we have is an infinitely more tragic cost. How is that? Well, we could give many reasons, but we're going to leave two with you. One is, Christ fell a victim, not merely to the wrath of men, but under the wrath of God. And if you can picture it, the thunder shudders through God's universe. The bolts of lightning, they electrify earth. And on one of those lightning bolts, you can see words printed and see the words of Zechariah, the chapter 13 in the verse 7, which say, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts, smite the shepherd. And you see at Calvary at the cross, that's exactly what happened. God smote the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we sing the words, Jehovah, be it his sword awake. O Christ, it woke against thee. Thy blood, the flaming blade, must slake. Thy heart, its sheath must beam. All for my sake, my peace to make, now sleeps that sword for me. And so effectively what was happening was there was a call going out into God's universe from heaven, sword of divine justice came the call. Stop sleeping. Human sin has stirred you many a time before, but even when you threw those angels who sinned out of heaven and down into hell, even when you flooded the world in Noah's day, even when you rained fire and brimstone down in Sodom and Gomorrah, even when you engulfed Pharaoh and all of his chariots and his hosts with the waters of the Red Sea, even when on that night you slaughtered 185,000 of Sennacherib's army, you were merely sword of justice. You are stirring in your scabbard. I've restrained you. I've held you back. But no longer rise out of the scabbard because the victim is before you. And that victim was Jesus Christ. And so that sword of divine justice comes out. And it descends with flaming blade upon the back and the head and the heart and the soul of that wonderful God-man on whom the Lord had led all of our iniquities. What wounds it inflicted. In Isaiah the chapter 53 and the verse 5 we are reminded he was wounded for our transgressions. The word wounded means tormented. He was bruised and the word there means he was broken into small pieces for our iniquities. 
Lady Kinnaird used to tell of one of the Duke of Windsor's visits, he was then the Prince of Wales, to a hospital in London. Some of the sorest wounded and most mutilated soldiers because of World War I were being treated in that place. The medical superintendent, he went out and he met the Prince of Wales and he conducted him round and he was told that day, I hear that you have in this hospital some of the worst wounded men in the war, the Prince was speaking. How many, he asked, all together? On learning there were 36 men in the hospital, the prince said, well, I want to see every single one of them today. And he had a cheery word for everyone, and he made inquiries about their near relatives, their wives, their families, their connections, did his level best to encourage all of them. And then he turned to the medical officer, taking him round, and he said, Doctor, you told me there were 36 badly wounded men. I have only seen 30 men in this ward. Where are the other six? Well, your highness, protested the doctor, the others are in such a pitiable condition that we thought it would be best to spare you from the agony of visiting them. But doctor, I must see them all, every one. They went into another ward and they have other men spread out there and they're terribly disfigured and wounded, many of them blind, some of them minus their limbs, all just physical wrecks. There were five of them and the prince was deeply moved and he showed his appreciation for and his affection for those men in every possible way. But where is the 36th man, the prince asked. I must see him also. By that stage, the medical superintendent knew that there's no way that I am going to put him off, and he took him into a separate ward, and there was a young man lying in a terrible condition, blind, disfigured, maimed, a total wreck of the fine physique that he had once possessed, and the prince, stooping down, kissed that man on the forehead, and as he rose from that bed, with tears streaming down his cheeks, he turned round to the doctor and he said, Doctor! Wounded for me, wounded for me. In a very real sense, we can look tonight, if we are in Christ, we can look away to the blood-soaked freedom of a crucified Jesus, and we can cry, as Mrs. Watkin Roberts did, wounded for me, wounded for me. There on the cross, he was wounded for me, gone my transgressions, and now I am free, all because Jesus was wounded for me. And so Paul says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. But what sets Christ's sacrifice apart from other sacrifices? Well, I'll give you a second reason, and only two tonight. He died with the express purpose of saving his enemies. That prayer that was prayed by Eleanor Roosevelt throughout World War II helped me to remember somewhere out there, a man died for me today. That prayer concluded with these words, as long as there be war, I then must ask and answer, am I worth dying for? Maybe many young American soldiers would have thought she was. Yes, our president's wife, worth dying for. Who did Jesus agonize and who did he die for? Well, I find an incredible answer to that question in Romans 5 in the verse 8. And again in the verse 10, for there I read, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that 
While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of a son. And I feel like the hymn writer when I read those words. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Sounded out across the earth, shout it down into hell, sing it up into heaven, and let those three worlds overthrow with wonder at this marvelous miracle of love. Christ died voluntarily vicariously for his enemies, those who spat on him, those who falsely accused him, those who gnashed on him with their teeth, those who reviled him and detested him and murdered him, and those today who still reject him and still remain in their sins. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me the cost of substitution. But then the consequences of substitution. In Napoleon's time, in one of the conscriptions where he's spreading out the net and trying to get as many soldiers to fight for him in his colors, in his army, a man who was balloted to a place and he didn't want to go. He had a friend who offered to go in his place. He wanted to be a soldier. The other man didn't. And his friend joined up in his name, was sent to the front was killed in action. Sometime after that, Napoleon wanted more men. So we have another conscription going out. And by mistake, the first man was balloted a second time. And they came to get him and he said, you can't take me. No, you can't have me. I'm dead. In such and such a battle, you left me buried on the field. Look up your books and see. And they looked and found that, yes, this man by this name had been killed in action on that day in that place. And you know what they said to him? It must have been a substitute. Yes, he said, that's true. He, my friend, died in my place. And your law has now no claim on me. And that statement, way back in Napoleonic times, it underlines one of the great consequences of this wonderful truth of substitution, and that is liberation and freedom. I quote Isaiah 53 and 5 again. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Thy wounds Thy wounds, Lord Jesus, those deep, deep wounds do tell the sacrifice that frees us from self and death and tell. And this sacrifice that frees us, that's what we're looking at when we gaze at the cross work of Calvary. That's one, one of the consequences of our Lord's substitution taking our place. He provided pardon that set us free from sin's penalty. Payment God will not twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine 
He paid the ransom for me. And so all of the spiritual blessings that I have in that cross are now made available to me through Him. I live because He has died. The cost of substitution, the consequences of substitution, the challenge of substitution. The fact, as Paul puts it here, that the Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me, put your name in there, make it as personal as you possibly can, as personal as Paul made it to himself. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. That should challenge us. Challenge us to do what? Well, challenge us to remember what he has done for us. Can we do anything else? When to the cross I turn my eyes and rest on Calvary, O Lamb of God, my sacrifice, I must remember thee. Remember it. Not only that, reciprocate it. We need to ask ourselves the question, He has done all of this for me. What am I doing for Him? That's the challenge that our brother Phil would have advanced all through these 14 years here in Belfast. And he could have been telling the story of George Mueller to do that, or Hudson Taylor, or T.C.T. Studd, or Amy Carmichael, or many of the stories that he did tell, as well as all the Bible stories that he brought to our attention. The question, Christ has done everything for us. What am I doing for Him? Isaac Watts put it like this, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all, and it makes that demand on me and on you. What do we do in the light of it? Remember it, reciprocate it, rejoice in it, of course. The death, the atonement, the covering, the eternal covering, that substitution in all of its wonderful effects and results, they are free and surely that brings out sustained song and prolonged praise. But maybe you're standing in your heart tonight and you're thinking, well, this is all very good, but you know, I'm not remembering it. I don't reciprocate it because I'm, I'm not converted. And you're telling me the Son of God loved me and gave Himself for me. I am telling you that. The Bible declares that. Well, if I can't rejoice in that right now, what should I do? The simple answer, receive it. How do I receive this sacrifice and all the benefits of it? By letting go of your sin by letting go of all trust in yourself, by your effort to get yourself worked to heaven, you'll never do it. That doesn't work. And by crying out as you take hold of our Savior by faith, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I read in the book, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And if he's done that, and I believe he has, I'm going to receive him with my empty hands and I'm going to claim him. And you can do so tonight as your Savior. Come for cleansing. Come for conversion. Come for that change you need to Jesus Christ today. He will not turn you away for his glory and for your salvation.